What's up, investors? Now, we normally have the weekly news update, but I personally wanted to take a break out of the news cycle since really everybody's just trying to fill up space or the media is trying to just fill up space until the next Fed meeting later on this week. I also wanted to just tell you guys that no, the SVB bankruptcy did not impact us. I'd love to save you from another fluff email that you got probably from all the other financial institutions and people you may have money with also telling you the same thing. You are smart enough to know that doesn't really impact our world. Other than maybe making the Fed really scared and dropping rates earlier than they should, but uh, that remains to be seen, and obviously we'll see that next week as we're all holding our breath, or at least I am personally. That said, if uh, you were involved in the SVB collapse, I'm sorry to hear that. Hopefully the FDIC insurance kicks in, which is what backs banks up and really another reason why you shouldn't keep more than $250,000 in there. Um, but again, banks are not secure. After Washington Mutual collapse, I had this website. I forgot where it is, but it ranks banks on their stability. And I actually stopped checking it about five, 10 years ago. But it makes sense to check it again. We personally use Chase Bank, those types of large top tier, maybe the top five banks out there. And we don't really using these smaller banks for our banking operations. Unless, of course, we're using a community bank where we're getting great terms at, and therefore we have to build that banking relationship with them and keep our operating budget with them. But I would always choose a bigger bank because you ain't getting much of an interest rate return on it anyway. You just, you rather be more cautious with that liquidity and go with a top tier bank. Why not? Banks are not as secure as life insurance and life insurance is not as secure as T-bills are. So what does that mean? So Having your money in banks is not as secure as having your money in your own life insurance policy because the life insurance policies are backed up by the solvency of large AAA rated life insurance companies or the large ones, not the really rogue fringy ones. But again, talking about life insurance companies, they are a lot more secure than banks and the other more secure investment item are T-bills backed by United States. Now, I know some people out there are always afraid of the United States collapsing. I get it. I may even buy into it a little bit, but at some point personally, I need to focus on things that I can proactively build on than worrying about the United States collapsing. Sorry if that ideals clash with you. That's just where my head is at as I try and focus on things I can control and worrying about if my country I live in collapse or not is something I frankly can't worry about. But that, again... Banks aren't as secure as life insurance, which is why the whole banking on yourself concept comes into play. If you guys want to get the free e-course on that, you can go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash bank. And T-bills are more, much more secure than life insurance, although I would argue life insurance companies and the T-bills are so secure as it is. The problem is you're not making that high of a return. And if your net worth is under $1 to $2 million net worth, you certainly need much more higher return than what are you getting, like 4% in the T-bills and about 5% in life insurance. You need to make higher returns than that. And certainly, at the very least, I think the banks are the, these three options are Number one, making the worst yields. And number two, the least secure of all these options. I don't know why you would do it. People in our group, if you've got 50, 100 grand, that money's out either in your life insurance or out in another deal. 
there really is no reason to keep more money than $250,000, which will be insured by FDI. Um, another view from the other side of the table, talking to about the safety of life insurance companies. What the heck do life insurance companies invest in to produce that about 5% yield for people to securitize people investments or at least preserve capital while making a bit of a yield? One of the things that they invest in, and they invest in a huge diversified pool of stuff. One of those things where it touches my universe is they will be lenders to multifamily commercial assets. One of the top tier that we'll typically get lending from are banks, and banks are made up from Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, direct lenders, community banks. But the next tier would be life insurance companies. The reason why we don't use them is because typically life insurance companies will give worse terms, which is bad for us, but good for the bank. And what I mean worse terms is they are typically going to be charging a little bit higher rate, but mostly the thing that I see is that the loan to values is a little bit lower. So that's, again, bad for me as the operator, but really good for the life insurance company because it puts them in a much more secure position. They priced in a bigger profit margin for themselves. And I think if anything, you're investing in commercial assets it's always good to see what the big, secure, institutional investors are investing. Maybe, of course, there are a lot of times they may be investing in a different part of the capital stack as preferred equity and not the common equity. But it, I think it's just important to know what they are investing in, what asset classes. So if that gives you a little bit insight on what the heck these guys do, that is just one of many things that life insurance companies diversify in. Um, and maybe take some notes for your own personal portfolio. Of course, the life insurance company is investing for a little bit different perspectives to ensure that they keep solvent and preserve capital over growth as their goals. And if you haven't yet, go back and check the other week's podcast, which was a, recorded about a month and a half ago, which was the first half of the quarterly Open the Kimono update, where I went through in great detail what's happening with interest rates, deals, and the economy. And then you also heard the last podcast, I believe it went out in the last month, uh, with Kyle and myself really discussing what's happening with banks and why we're taking a pivot on what deals we're looking to in the future to mainly find deals that are safer and are have less competition with seemingly everybody who flips 10 houses um, is suddenly a podcaster or YouTube guru out there. It's, we're trying to get away from these types of bigger pocket grown-up type of folks or real estate bros is what you call them and really becoming more of that private equity institutional type of operator if you guys want to learn more about that, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash club and get all those insider updates there. Now, here's what you guys wanted to hear, which is minus all the fluff. And I think the reason why a lot of people stick to our group is the transparency. It's almost to a fault. And it's almost to some people think I drink while I do these podcasts, but which is not the case. But I think that's also why some people listen is in my rambling musings, 
I'll say things that maybe I shouldn't say that are a little bit too transparent, but heck, I'd rather people know the truth out there. As we've mentioned many times, you know, floating rate debt is the big elephant in the room right now. In prior to 2021, let's call it 80% of the deals were done with fixed rate debt because you could. The market hadn't increased like how it had after 2021 where things flip-flopped. At that point on, and I would certainly say after the second half of 2021, the amount of people using floating rate debt was probably the majority. And especially for deals that didn't have to restabilize, a lot of those people are hurting right now. And I'll be the first one to tell people that, yeah, we've got a few of those deals on our hands and we are working the problems as we speak. That said, you've got over $2.1 billion of assets under ownership and operation. I think that's well over 60, 65 deals at the moment. And what we're talking about here is just a few or three out of 60 something is about 5%. As much as I personally kind of focus on the negative a little bit too much and need to be positive, that's what we're talking about here. But we want to talk about it because I don't want to be like most people who continually go out to new investors and never just sweep this stuff under the rug. I don't think it's transparent. And to me, I don't think it really speaks to having honor and really being truthful what's out there. I'd rather people know the ugly truth up front and know going in that we've got people's best interests in mind and working the problem as best as we can because we've got our own skin in the game too. Not to mention being the key principal low and guarantors on it, but also our reputations on the line too. So what's going on in the syndication world behind the scenes? People, and I know this is happening because I'm a passive investor in a bunch of these deals, People are losing money on a monthly basis. Now, of course, you have working capital cash reserves to the tune of maybe a million dollars on a small deal, maybe even up to three or four million dollars on a larger deal. But on a larger deal, you may be bleeding quarter million to three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars a month, which can make that type of even a large cash reserve evaporate in under in a year. What are we doing? We are being transparent to our investors and letting them know that there are a couple of deals within the capital call situation. And yeah, I said it, right? I said the dirty word, right? The uh, word in our world. But I wanted to get ahead of it because there is an advantage to coming out and really being more transparent, but working with the banks to restructure the debt and also, there is an advantage to going out to investors for a capital call, especially if this is going to be prevalent, which is what I'm calling for. And if you're the first one to do your capital call, you may get your capital call fulfilled at a much higher likelihood than the other people who just stuck their head in the sand or tried to hide it. And then when they finally need the money at the end, at the final hour, they can't get it because their investors, their passive investors have put in the capital call on the other five deals that they were in. There's, they don't have any money. People have burned through their own personal cash reserves. But I think why a lot of people aren't doing it is because quite frankly, they need to bring in new investors and they're constantly marketing and they just would rather not be doing with what I'm being about right here, airing out the dirty laundry to something. But I also want to, the reason why we do this for our investors is we want to be transparent. Typically, when operating agreements are written with PPMs, general partners, operators can go out to outsource, course, outside sources of capital 
Therefore, they don't have to really communicate the fact that they are in a crunch and doing a capital call, but outside of the current passive investors in the deal. So if that kind of went over your head, don't worry. It took me a long time to understand this myself. But basically, it's it's if somebody owes you money or you owe somebody money and you don't want that person to beat you up or never lend to you again. Something you may do is go borrow from your other friend. So that first lien just never knows and you stay in good graces with them. In a way, that's what a lot of people are doing. They are sweeping it under the rug and just going and borrowing the money from somebody else. Or realistically, what's happening here is that they're going out to outside source of the capitals and bringing in outside money to effectively jump their investors in the capital step, which personally, I don't feel is right. And I think this kind of goes to, I always want to be transparent and have fiduciary to investors. And I just don't think that is right to bring in outside capital give up equity, and have your investors be totally oblivious to what this is happening, even though may, your PPM may or may not allow this. Obviously, by doing what we're doing, we piss some people off. We said the F word, which is capital call, and that may alienate some people. I would rather just say it what it is. There are a bunch of people with a heck of a lot, maybe double, triple, quadruple the amount of floating rate debt projects out there. And I can't imagine, I actually know pretty well how much they're bleeding every month, but I can't imagine what's going through their head and what's the, what they're thinking right now. But what I do know is other than the first option, which is coming clean to investors and saying, hey, this is what's going on. And this is the course of action, capital call, one of them, and maybe re restructuring the debt with the bank in parallel, other than that one, option two might be sticking your head in the sand, not doing anything, which I think that one's the worst one. Uh, option three is going out to an outside equity source where they get to jump the common equity investors in the capital and then common equity investors never really find out if that happened at all after the storm passes, other than the fact that it seems like their investment terms went way, way down after the fact. Option four, another one is looking for large mezzanine debt funds to be consolidated together. I haven't decided if I really want to get involved with that stuff personally, I could, because I don't know what the market rate is. I don't know what passive investors really want on that. Maybe what I'll, one of my plans is just to keep my eyes on what the crowdfunding websites do. And then whatever they come up with, just do a little bit better than them. Because I know I can't because they just have a really high fee structure to keep the lights on in those VC type of companies. But I think there's always difficulties. Another thing that people are dealing with now is insurance costs are going way high. And some of these markets that some people are in, none of the ones that I'm personally in, they can't get insurance. So they have to self-insure, which is a bit dangerous in my opinion. There's always things going on. And I'm not saying that this is not time to invest is there's always things going on. There's always risk in investment. And at, on the other side, when things are murky, that's the time is when you can make the best returns too. Floating rate debt, maybe I haven't made the decision in the future whether I'm going to do it again or do it not. I think what I'm going to do is just maybe not do multifamily value add real estate in the future. Don't read too much into that statement, but that's exactly why. And if you've checked out that other podcast, why we are looking to be doing more preferred equity and developments.
because I just frankly think it's a lot safer. And what it comes down to is if I have to do floating rate debt to get a deal because the market has increased so much, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. Now, if your investors are looking to double their money every five years, yes, you're going to have to do that unless you just totally lie on your pro forma and inflate your numbers. But, you know, is I don't know, if people want that, then that's what you have to step into. You have to step through those lending terms and you have to accept those lending terms in most cases. But anyway, again, maybe this is just too much airing the dirty laundry, but on a handful of these, a very small minority, that's what we are going through and what I'm seeing out there. But I guess we're in a waiting game. We're going to see where the Fed takes us. At the end of the day, I think this is a great reason why going into separate deals where they're all segregated and not really commingled is partially to prevent from one grape spoiling the entire vine here. You guys have any other questions on this? Please submit it to our email or get on our email list. And if you have any other questions, what's going on out there, feel free to let me know. I would want to know as opposed to just being totally oblivious as a passive investor. Philippe, we'll cross our fingers what's happening later on in the week with the Fed. I'm hoping that they increase the rates 75 basis points or even a full point. And let's just get flushed through this fever and get back to being well. And the rates just come back lower again, like where they normally should be. And we can get back to business. Um, I have no control over that. I understand that is more of a worry than a concern. Concerns are things you can worry about it. And until then, I focus on the concerns, which are things that I can have impact over. But anyway, we'll see you guys next week. Bye.